Hello again, and welcome to Gap and Grow. We're a podcast about resources, people, and ideas at Western Connecticut State University, and we're all about finding ways to help you have a successful a successful experience as a student. Hopefully, more successful than that sentence was. Uh, I'm Mary Beth Griffin. I'm the host of Gab and Grow, and today we're going to be talking about something that I think we all know a little bit about, which is disagreements, because we all have them, don't we? It could be something small, like somebody pulls in front of you and takes the parking space that you'd been patiently waiting for, or it could be something bigger, like you and your parents can't seem to agree on who should pay what for your college education could be something philosophical, like you believe in the death penalty, but your best friend totally doesn't support it. And, uh, you know, don't even get me started on election year disagreements, you know. But these kinds of issues are just parts of our lives. So we're going to spend some time today talking about them. And we've invited a guest who I think knows a little bit about the topic. And I want to welcome back to Gab and Grow, Victor Namer. Hi, Victor. Hi, Meredith. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm so happy you're here. Um, for those of you who don't know Victor, he's a, a grad of WCSU from the Honors Program, and you majored in psychology, right? Psychology and, and political science. And political science. So, and, and that political science had a concentration in conflict resolution, yep. which is one of the reasons I asked him here. Um, Victor and I know each other, too, because he was an academic resource mentor for Housing and Residence Life. And these days, you're working as a resident relations specialist at the uh, Connecticut Institute for Communities, right? That's the one. Great. So today we're going to try to talk about how to have a productive disagreement, which seems like an oxymoron to me. I mean, how can a disagreement be productive? So I, I started out by, you know, looking on the internet to get ready for our discussion. And I found this really interesting TED Talk by a woman named Julia Dar, and she works with businesses and government agencies on how they resolve issues and disagreements and helps them make plans for their future. And she started off the talk saying that in so much of our lives today, contempt has replaced conversation. And that statement really stuck with me because I see that everywhere. I see it in our relationships with each other. I see it certainly in our political interactions. I see it in classrooms and things. So, you know, can we kind of start off there, Victor? You know, how do you approach difficult discussions or disagreements with somebody when you know that you're approaching that, that discussion from such differing perspectives? Absolutely. You know, I, I, th I think it, there's like three pieces to this one. Um, I, I think it's first important to look at how you look at conflict. And a lot of people see conflict as this big and scary thing, you know, but conflict can actually be such a source of, of, of growth and, and strength. Uh, it, the, the first thing that I think we need to do is we need to reframe how we look at conflict, because once we conflict can transform issues and relationships into something that we can work with going forward. And so looking at contempt in, in our conversation in particular, mm -hmm. starting off from that frame, we have to understand that we're both humans and that everyone is entitled to a basic dignity and respect no matter who you are or what you believe in. Yep. Um, so when we go into a difficult discussion or an argument with a preconceived notion such as uh, a, a negative bias of some sort uh, along the lines, the, con the conversation starts out on an even fo uneven footing 
um, and to some degree that reflects on our ability to engage in a civil conversation. Uh, when we turn the other person into an obstacle and a threat instead of seeing it as a chance for discourse, it stymies conversation. Um, so when when we do um, when we start out by negatively assuming something about another person, or let's say we we negatively make a statement about them, that's the best way to push someone away from actually listening to you or or engaging in a conversation out the gate. And it, it's it signals to them to some degree that you aren't open to a conversation. But when we when we actually um, say start the conversation on a positive note instead of uh, a negative note, we're we are signaling to the other person that we're here for both sides for learning, optimally coming to a mutually agreed upon outcome. So these are just a couple of my thoughts on it, you know? What about yeah. you, Kevin? Well, you know, it's interesting. One of the the things that, that Ms. Dar said in this in this talk was there was a great value in sitting face to face with somebody and talking mm. with them about it. And, you know, having been in housing forever, um, <laughs> you know, I know that when we're dealing with roommate issues, one of the biggest problems that we have with that is that they don't talk face to face about what's bothering them. And, you know, they'll text their roommate about it or they'll post something to Instagram about their roommate or they'll tell other friends about what's making them nuts, but don't say anything to the roommate who's doing something that bothers them. So, you know, working in, in conflict resolution, why is that face-to-face -face time so important and, and why is it so hard to do? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to touch on Ms. Dar's uh, talk, actually, a little bit about that. Yeah. She, she talked about um, Professor Juliana Schroeder at UC Berkeley and one of, and some of her research there. And I think that's a, that's a great uh, focal point to start out at. You know, when we are engaging face-to-face -face in particular with another person and we, we're listening to someone's voice as they make a controversial argument, that's literally humanizing it, it takes, uh, it makes it easier to engage with what that person has to say. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of times it's, it's very difficult because we've got this idea in our heads about, uh, what, uh, what, a per what we think a person might be saying, you know, and also body language can say a lot. You can say a message. It can be interpreted in so many different ways over a message. It can be interpreted over, over text or email. You could, you could be assuming a connotation, and that could be just completely off base. Yeah. yeah, I think I think we find that a lot of times when we're trying to do mediation things with roommates. Um, and usually it's, I think one of the other things is that because we're so conditioned not to want to bring conflict, you know, into that kind of relationship, we we tend not to address things as they're happening. And so mm. then it builds up and you get this whole storyline that's going on in your head. I'm making symbols over my head, <laughs> you know, but you know, there's, there's this whole story and all these things that you've kept inside you that you've, you know, made your checklist. They did this and this and this, and you've never once said that to your roommate. So your roommate doesn't know anything's going wrong, you know? And I think it's, it's the same kinds of things in, in other relationships that people have too. But, um, you know, I, I want to just move us ahead just a little bit because I think I think, like I said, that first thing is is sitting down face to face with somebody and having that discussion and talking to them 
about what it is, not letting all that time go by and that that big, you know, brouhaha embroil inside your head. Um, but then when you actually sit down, you've got to do do something that's called listening. And you have to also look at at finding things that you have in common. And, you know, I took Dr. Maines's conflict resolution course years ago, and those were two of the big things that we really learned about in working through conflict. You know, can you talk a little bit about why you think maybe those are two really important parts of having a successful discussion or disagreement? Absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, common ground and active listening are some of the, the most important parts for managing disagreements. Um, for 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 two reasons. So let, let's take help. Let's take um, common ground first. And an analogy I, I enjoy working with is, is healthcare in particular. Um, I think everyone on both sides can agree that we all want good quality healthcare for individuals that is accessible. Mm-hmm. That is a focal point that that a lot of people can agree on. And once we've established that point as a commonality, it's much easier to to transition into what creates that kind of reality. You know. Um, a lot of times in, in, in our courses, uh, we, we talk about the three yeses. If you can start off a conversation, you can get three yes, mutually agreed yeses, you're off to a good start. Um, and it makes the conversation flow better. Um, for active listening, this is uh, kind of the, the bread and butter of, of discourse right here, mm-hmm. because especially when you get into something called reflective listening. Yeah. Um, when you actively listen and ultimately reflect back at them what the what the other person is saying in their own in your own words you're showing the other individual that you are taking a step towards understanding their perspective number one mm-hmm. and number two a really important part about reflective listening and active listening is you don't have to agree with yeah. what they're saying to reflect back at them you're in your own words you your understanding of what they're saying and, and a reflection is not an agreement. Reflection shows right. the other person that I'm here, I'm paying attention, and I, I understand what you're saying. It's not necessarily an agreement. Right. And I think that's so important because, you know, I think back to different disagreements I've had, you know, in my lifetime. And and sometimes it's that I've got one interpretation of what caused something or what somebody said that's not at all what they meant. You know, I tell people a story all the time that that I had a friend who told me he couldn't stand me when he first met me. And, and I said, well, why, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a, you know, crazy statement to start with, with somebody that you're friends with, but we were, we were in a group together on the campus that, that we did our undergrad at. And I had as a freshman, it, it was a big prestigious group on campus. And I had taken over a role as a freshman um, that that led to me somehow becoming vice president of this organization. And I didn't know what I was doing. And this was an organization that was, you know, kids from freshmen to seniors and then grad students were in it. It was a residence life thing and it was a very big thing on campus. And I was petrified. We used to meet in this this big, it was called, you know, the um, the board of trustees hall. And it had this, you know, it was this layered thing. There were 
there were marble statues and mosaics around the outside. I mean, it was it was a big deal thing. And I had to stand down there and, and tell people to turn stuff in. And I would get petrified and my face would get red because I was so nervous. And I would just, you know, kind of make my point and sit back down. And he took that fear that I was feeling as me being bossy and pushy. And so his impression of me was that I was, you know, essentially a not very nice person and, and me in the whole, you know, the whole time I was trembling. So we had this discussion about what it was and he goes, well, that makes sense to me. He goes, I'm glad we, you know, we talked, but it's that, I think that's the kind of thing that reflective listening can get at, you know, that, that your interpretation of what's happening is sometimes not at all what that person meant. And if you can try to reflect back so that you're understanding not just what they said, but their meaning too, that it helps clarify the situation. Exactly. And, and one of the, just kind of just to add on to that, um, you, you, I, I love I love the example you used about clarify the the, the the point you touched about clarifying a point. When you reflect back, you could be completely off base, and then the other person could say, "Oh no no no, this this is this is what I mean." And it's a great yeah. way to to really ascertain what the other person is saying. Yeah, you know, um, it's funny because I'm a note taker by nature, and in a lot of the the reading and things I did in prepping for this, people were talking about taking notes and sometimes that doesn't feel, you know, like if you're having a, a discussion with your roommate, maybe taking notes doesn't seem like the best idea. Um, even though I sometimes do it too, because it helps cement things in my mind when I write them down. But I think certainly if you're, you know, putting this to work in a workplace or, you know, an organization that you're involved in or things, that ability to take notes while you're having that discussion is also probably helpful, don't you think? I do. Um, you know, one of the common phrases that goes around is uh, we don't listen to understand, we listen to reply. Yeah. You know, and, and I think a big part of that has to do with, you know, we have limited brain capacity. You know, we, we can only hold so many things in our yeah. mind at one time. Um, and so when we're listening to another person, you know, we get this, we get this great idea that we want to share with them, but we have to keep listening to them at the same time. Yeah. Um, and so how do you, how do you, um, how, how do you manage both of these things mm -hmm. at the same time? And a great way to do it is you, you, you just write it down. You, you, yeah. should, you put the thought on paper and then you can go back to fully being present to the other person. Yeah. I didn't even think about that, but that's a, that's an absolutely great idea too. So um, I think, you know, one of the things that's really frustrating for people in, in so many of these times that we're, you know, in a, in a painful disagreement with somebody is that we're also emotionally invested. We're either invested in the relationship or in the topic, you know, um, and we also get invested in the idea that what we think or we believe is right. Um, and therefore we need to defend it. So, you know, we, we can buy all this, you know, advice about face-to-face -face and active and reflective listening and, um, but, and, and that's easier when it's, you know, maybe some kind of big esoteric thing, like we're talking, you know, abortion or healthcare or things, but 
What about when you're having that big disagreement with somebody you really care deeply about? How do you disagree without endangering the whole relationship? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the sticky wicked points of, of really discourse. Um, and I think it kind, of, kind of touching on uh, uh, Miss Dar's uh, TED talk again, you, got, you have to remove uh, identity ideas from identities. Um, you know, our identities are fundamentally different than our ideas, I, I, I think is a good way to, to start the conversation, especially since, like over the course of human development, we change our views countless times. Yeah. And we, we keep part of being human is continuously growing and changing your, your, your perspective on, on things. So it's important to remember what we are arguing rather than um, attributing a view to another person, like uh, as an overall state of character, because like we are moldable, we, we are yeah. we're changeable. Um, and, you know, I think in, 20, in 2016, um, Pew did a research study. Um, by K Carol Doherty and Jocelyn Killeney. And what they found is that having people of opposing views as, as friends greatly, uh, of that viewpoint, greatly reduced uh, animosity and bias towards people of those same, of, of those opposing views, just by having those kinds of relationships and those, mm -hmm. and those friendships. So while it is difficult to, to really disengage from that, I think that's the, the, the exact starting point that we that, that is really important to have with our friends, our loved ones. These are people we've developed a relationship with. Yeah. And these are the people who might be primed to have this best kind of this first kind of conversation with because these shape our views about how we how we really interact with people from opposing views going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think, you know, this brings up for me things that we talk about when we do, you know, RE training stuff, too, because we we try to talk about, you know, as an RE, sometimes you're doing things that that are going to make the people you live with angry because, you you know, if they've been doing something that violates a policy, you have a job to do in documenting that or stopping it from happening or things and and it's frequently a an after effect a side effect of that to you know again you've got that tick box going on inside your head and you're like well this person did this so you know they're they must not be you know they're always going to be a problem kind of thing and we work really hard to say you've got to separate a specific behavior from who mm -hmm. that person is because we all do things that are stupid or make a bad mistake at some point in time. And that doesn't identify who we are as an individual. And I think it's the same kind of thing in that relationship thing that you, you, because somebody said something that, that made you mad or they believe something that makes you angry, that doesn't identify them as the whole person that they are. And so you've got to look very specifically at the issue right that you're disagreeing on not necessarily the whole scope of that person and if you can do that you can work your way through that disagreement and have it not necessarily pull away from that entire relationship exactly that is a great summarization there Beth. I, I think that was phenomenal years of practice <laughs> <laughs> you know i um 
One of the other things I read, there was a woman named Dolly Laskell, who is president of an organization called Lead, Lead From Within. And she had this list, which I thought was really good, of seven simple ways to disagree effectively. And so I want to just kind of list them and get your thoughts on each one of them. The first one is seek to understand. So, you know, she's talking about hearing the other person out on their idea or issue. Why is that important? Well, I mean, th that's kind of the root of, of getting to a solution. If you don't know what the challenge point is or the, or the, 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 the issue in question is, you, you can't move forward. Um, and that's something that's very prevalent today. Like there, we have a lot of, we have a, uh, there's a lot of, let's say challenges and naming those challenges is the first step, you know, yeah. it, with it, uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. Um, basically challenges thrive in perpetuity when they are unnamed, <laughs> you know, yep. I mean, yeah, you uh, got to be able to identify it or. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the next thing she said, and I think this one is a huge one for most of us, is look beyond your own triggers. So it, it's looking beyond the the thing that's aggravating or that maybe scares you about the topic and seeing that this situation isn't the same as something that you might have faced before. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's a big one in interpersonal disagreements because it's one of the things that makes them so emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You were. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I, I think that it's, it's very true. You know, we all have certain upbringings. We're raised differently. We are, yeah. we all come from different backgrounds and we all have different, we have our own hit personal histories of things that have gone well in our lives and things that have not gone quite so well. Mm -hmm. um, and so just, speaking from experience, I, I know I can say that there are certain issues or things that my, my friends will say to me and I'll immediately have kind of a, a, a kind of a point blank visceral reaction. I'll have to bring myself back and check and I'll say, oh, yeah, well, that that I apologize for that. That was yeah. that was perhaps not my best reaction to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she talked and we talked a little bit about these, about looking for similarities, not differences. So we talked mm -hmm. about that in the finding common ground. And she talked about being a good listener and, you know, list after list after list. That's always one of the, the top things that's on there is that we have to stop and take the moment to actually listen and hear what the other person is saying. And like you said a little earlier, when you can reflect that back to make sure you've understood it well, that goes worlds of distance in trying to, you know, get to a resolution that's beneficial for both people, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, she talks about taking responsibility for your own feelings. Um, and I think we just mentioned some of that, like, you know, we might have misinterpreted what somebody said and it caused this kind of feeling. So being able to express how what somebody said made you feel um, and putting it in terms of your feelings versus their actions can sometimes help them here so that they can reflect back on, on how that interaction went too. Mm -hmm. um, making a commitment. And this one is so familiar with, with roommates, I think. You know, by the time we start talking to each other, we've often 
already made a decision that nothing's going to work and that, you know, in case a roommate's moving out, it's the only thing that'll fix it. And, you know, what, what uh, Ms. Laskell was saying was, if you really want to get at the heart of the issue, then you have to commit to the relationship because if you've already made a decision to move on, no amount of talking about it is going to do you any good, whether that's a roommate or a partner or your boss or a friend, you know. And then the last thing she talked about was using positive language. And, um, you know, I think some of that is that what she was saying was, you know, the disagreement that you're having is about this specific topic. It's not about a, a disagreement you had three months ago or the time somebody did this or the last time you were angry at her for that. You know, it's it's trying to keep positive and keep things to this one issue that's that's bothering you. And then you're more likely to resolve it. I think those are pretty strong, you know, pretty strong hints for anyone in any kind of disagreement to get through. Yeah, most certainly. I, I completely agree. Yeah. So, you know, before we, we close things up totally, it's election time. And I wanted to talk just a little bit about politics because it's, you know, every time we come to an election, it gets acrimonious and, you know, the sides seem to be galaxies apart, you know, versus just somehow opposite. So how do we start to be able to discuss politics and policies so that we can get back to finding solution instead of laying blame? Yeah. And so I, I also, I'm going to, I want to start with a personal example to this one, actually, because I fell into the pitfall of, of just, you, we talked about triggers, right? Mm -hmm. And I had a trigger and my, I had a pretty big trigger. And that used to be, um, of someone of another view or party or something like that. And I would, I, I would just have a, a visceral kind of reaction to that. And then one day, what I realized as I was, I was talking to this person, I was like, okay, this person has some good points that I didn't mm -hmm. think about. Yeah. And, and, and I think for myself, the part of what convinced me, and it's, it, it's important to, in, in, in discerning the ideas and policies and solutions that we're looking for, we need to find tangible and objective facts rather than blanket feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I mean by that is find specific sources, issues, and policies that you agree and disagree with and be specific with your critiques of them. In my own personal experience, people are quick to provide um, rather vague arguments without specific policies yeah. or examples uh, and insert a broad statement saying, I hate this party or this candidate without saying why. And then when they're asked why, they're just like, I don't like them. And so mm -hmm. the, the way you you can the way you start that dialogue in on a better foot is you, you you give these kinds of tangible examples in order to separate people from policy. We have to know very specifically what we want changed. Yeah. Um, if we don't have examples of what we are advocating for or against, we won't make any progress in our political climate. So my thought is be specific and do your research. It's more time consuming, but all the while more worth it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because that, that reminded me of two things. One was something that, that Julia Dar said in, in that, TED talk and it was that, you know, 
one of the things that she has found, she was a world champion debater too. And she said, one of the things that she's found is she's tried to bring that philosophy into, you know, workplaces and, and businesses and government agencies and things, because the concept is that you're never arguing just for the side that you believe in, in a debate competition, you pull a thing out of the hat and you're either arguing on this side or you're arguing on that side, whether you believe it or not. And so you've got to come up with arguments which focus on facts, which focus on on policies and procedures and things. And and you use that to make that argument. And, the, you know, one other thing I had I had been looking at some stuff um, the University of Texas at Austin has a center for media engagement, and they just finished a um, a study on political disagreements and came up with these five top strategies for talking politics with people. And so many of them are so similar to what we've been talking about all along, which is focus on the people, not on you know the people that you're talking with, not on the politics. You know that don't have political discussions with people you're not invested in because you, you're not going to get anywhere. But if you're invested in it, you know, talk with the people you know and don't take comments personally, but share your own relationships and 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 experiences. Find common ground, find things that you can agree on about the issue um, and focus on those things. What you just said, stick to facts, you know, and and so verifying your opinions with evidence and trying to keep emotion out of it, being an advocate, not an opponent. So, you know, if it's something that you believe in, be able to talk to people about why you believe in it and why you think it's important, not just that, you know, you're not just trying to be or confrontational and say, my idea is right. You know, you have to be able to explain why and, um, and, and then pick your battles, you know. Is it a battle you wanna have with that person? Do you wanna risk something? Is that topic too big, you know, and you wanna focus on something smaller? We, we can't necessarily talk to our neighbor and solve world hunger, but we might be able to say, geez, you know, there's a food bank here in town and we could make a difference there, you know. So doing that thing and, and something that I just wanted to add is that don't gloat after an election, you know, as much as we all want to gloat if our candidate is the winner, um, you know, and you may be really excited or relieved that your candidate has won, but the other side can be really devastated about it too. So be sensitive, take your celebration elsewhere, don't rub people's nose in it, but see then how you can, knowing that somebody felt maybe you know, totally opposite of what you're feeling. How do you, how do you then make that reach across to them and say, okay, my candidate won, but what are some things that you really care about that I might be able to communicate from my side to them that identifies the needs that you're seeing too? So, you know, those were just thoughts I had about politics. Were there things that you had in mind otherwise? I mean, I, I agree with, uh, I pretty much agree with everything. I think the, yeah. the one thing I just wanted to touch on that you touched on actually was it's okay to have opinions. Um, yeah. It is, it is absolutely like one of the, I think it was Hamilton who said this. It was like, uh, 
if you don't stand for something, you fall for anything. You know, he certainly said that in the musical. So, (laughs) you know, I was, it's one of them. I loved it. It Great. Um, but it's, it's okay to have opinions and it's, it's, it's especially okay. Like and and important in this climate, like talk, if you believe in something, talk about it. And, and, and if, especially if it's something prevalent that you'd like to see changed, the only way that it will start to get changed is on a, it starts with with a discourse with between you and your friends or you and some you and your family and then you work outward from there into your communities so i i think that's really just have have opinions and just know that it's okay to have opinions yeah so you know looking back on everything we've talked about are there any you know words of wisdom pieces of advice tips or things that you can can tell people, you know, these are my top three things for how to, how to have good disagreements. Yeah. Uh, so my first one is some of these are things we've already talked about. Find common ground mm-hmm. on big issues, um, healthcare, gun control, what, 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 whatever have you, every, it, you can find a statement like we want safer communities. We want, uh, a, a we want quality education. You can always find some commonality. You, you, one of the best phrases I heard from one of my professors is when she was struggling to find commonality, she said, I have teeth. You have teeth. We all have teeth. <laughs> <laughs> you get, find, find some kind of commonality. Um, the second one is reflectively listen. Um, we, we talked about that. You, if you if you really want to be successful in your in in in, in a dialogue with someone, you want them to know you're listening, mm-hmm. and in in turn, that's what really turns on their receptors for engagement with you. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing is just something I love studying in neuroscience. Actually, yeah. um, the brain, with every thought and every action, it changes on an anatomical level. Um, people a very very and this is something I hold very dear, people are capable of change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of people f- feel futile having discourse saying, oh, this person won't change. Uh, we do on, on, a, on an anatomical level in our brains. I, I recommend the brain that changes itself that, yeah. the, by Norman Deutsch, uh, the happiness advantage by, um, oh, I'm going to, I'm blanking out on <laughs> I have on, on my shelf. Shauna Kaur, there we go. I, I recommend um, looking into the literature, but people change and it's it, yeah. the conversations that we have make impacts and yeah. it's, it, they are so important. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Um, I wish we had more time, but uh, we, t- I tend to talk too much, so we run out of time quickly. So I think that's going to be it for our episode. Um, you know, I hope everyone tunes in again to Gab and Grow because over the course of the year, we've got a lot more to share uh, and you can find us on any of your favorite podcast spots. Victor, I'd like to thank you in particular for joining us again because you've been our guest before, but you know, this, I think this subject has such meaning for, for me and I know it does for you too. So I appreciate your time and your effort getting ready for this too. So thanks for being here with us. Thanks for having me, Mary Beth. It was a pleasure. Great. Um, If any of you are listening and you have questions or suggestions for Gab and Grow, you can always reach out to me at griffinm at wcsu.edu. And that's going to be it till the next time. Bye now.
Gavin Grow is a production of WCSU Media, engineered by Peter Puccio and produced by Scott Volpe. Listen and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at WCSU Media. And feel free to reach out to us by email at podcasts at wcsu.edu. Thanks for listening.